0: Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. Snacking in the U.S. continues to climb, according to data from Circana, despite predictions that a surge in the frequency and sales of snacks during the pandemic was unsustainable and would eventually revert to pre-COVID levels as consumers return to in-person events and adopt a hybrid lifestyle. At the same time, though, innovation in the space has declined as snack makers managed supply chain challenges and economic headwinds, creating a disconnect between supply and demand that could cost brands sales, market share, and consumer loyalty if left unaddressed. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Circana Vice President and Practice Leader Sally Lyons-Wyatt shares how snacking in the U.S. continues to evolve and grow, including what is driving the increase in consumption, who's leading the charge, what they're reaching for, and where they're buying snacks. She also shares where she sees opportunities and strategies for stakeholders to drive additional revenue and consumer engagement. So let's be honest, snacking is not a new concept. But as Lyons Wyatt notes, how often consumers snack, what they reach for, and when is changing. And many of those shifts have been driven not just by lifestyle, but also life stage.
1: I mean, Consumers have been snacking for a long time. And we had started to see in the U.S. specifically that we were getting to a snacking lifestyle several years ago, before COVID. Part of that was being driven at the time by millennials. Now we see that Gen Z is also opting in to have that, and we're also seeing it's a little pervasive across generations. So, but why is that? What what causes that? Well, there were several different reasons. One was availability meets availability means lifestyle, and. We saw with millennials, especially, that they started to eat smaller portions throughout the day. Some of that was nutritionist. Some of that was preference. And those smaller portions started to be more snackable options throughout the day. And we saw that happening. As they have matured, they've taken that with them. So they take that way of eating with them. And then Gen Z is following suit. What's fascinating to watch, though, is this. When we were in the heart of COVID, we were all home. We were all doing at-home snacking. We were snacking on things that made us feel better or might have been nostalgic. And we saw more of those big bags or, or ways in which just to serve many in the home um, doing quite well. Then we got to be mobile again. I warned everyone. Probably not going to see this kind of snacking going forward. Felt like we were at a plateau, and that we would probably find a place where we would bunker down and and stay with the percent of consumers snacking. And then we found that forty five this year, forty five percent of consumers are snacking three plus snacks a day, and that's up over two years. And I was like, I like, oh my goodness, as much as I thought, but it's because you've got these two big generations that are kind of driving it. And that other generations are following suit because of, again, availability needs lifestyle.
0: What consumers consider quote unquote snacks also is evolving as new occasions and need states evolve, according to Lyons Wyatt, who says she sees two distinct types of snacks arising. She adds these two groups will require different approaches to marketing and innovation that will need to take into account not just cravings and taste, but also the current economic environment and shifts in where consumers shop.
1: Consideration set for what consumers do think about when they want to snack. One of that consideration is what we're calling core snacks. And those are the potato chips, grapes, could be tortilla chips, ice cream, cookies, the traditional kind of core snacking type categories um, are one part of what we look at. The other part is called extended. And in the extended set, we look at products that or, or uh, items that might be in your home or at the workplace that could be pizza, that could be soup, that could be um, slider, that could be specialty nut butter. Those all fall in that extended consideration set. And we do that because consumers – As much as as retailers and manufacturers love categories, consumers look for occasions and they have different needs and and, or desires that they're looking for. So they're looking for what's going to satisfy them. What is it that they're looking for? So that consideration set is broad now. It is for sure. But the majority of it is core, and that hasn't changed. What's changed within the core is what might drive growth each and every year. That does evolve. What we are seeing is out of the traditional core snacks and those that are kind of top, top sales, the one that continues to buck all trends is tortilla chips. They continue to grow units and volume and dollars. And a lot of that is because they have exciting flavors, different texture. They have innovation that excites and delights people. And they have an amazing way of engaging with consumers on social media. And so those things have definitely been helpful. But with the other thing that Tortilla Chips has done brilliantly is to find ways to be wherever consumer is and at a price that they can afford. And what I mean by that is they haven't gone all in a multi-pack or all in for large size. They've tried to balance what they have in the marketplace with a, with the right a mix and right channels for multi-pack large sizes versus an entry point where if you don't have the amount of money to buy the large size or multi-pack, you might have enough money to buy a smaller size and get your favorite snack and to be able to get that indulgence that you're looking for. So we see tortilla winning, but then when you look around that, again, that kind of core snacking, we see other categories like cookies, um, donuts. Uh, especially center store um, donuts we see actually um, tortilla chips that I've already talked about cord snacks frozen ice milk desserts um, we've obviously during COVID we didn't have a use for sugarless gum or breath fresheners now we do we're all wanting to make sure our breath is fresh so those those two categories have done quite well but also snack produce. So I've kind of walked you through there's a little bit of indulgence and then a little bit of um more health and well being, and then permissible indulgence with maybe um some other categories like uh snack of bars. So there is a variety of what we see from consumers, um, but indulgence is still winning. So even in the midst of everything, because of what's going on in the world today. We're all going for some affordable luxuries and some of our favorite snacks. So we are seeing more indulgence continuing to outpace health and well-being. Um, permissible indulgence um, are are the two that are kind of losing out to treating and and indulgence.
0: Consumers casting snacks as quote-unquote affordable luxuries, as Lyons Wyatt phrased it, underscores both the opportunity and challenge for the category in the current economy. On one side, if snacks are priced and placed appropriately, they could appeal to consumers who wouldn't normally buy them, but who are looking for less expensive alternatives to eating out or other more expensive treats. But on the other side, they aren't essential for many shoppers, and as such, they are not consistently making the cut as consumers pair back their carts to stretch their food budgets. Lyons Wyatt explains that overall volumes are down for core snacks, with some categories suffering more than others.
1: Snacking is struggling from a total core snacking standpoint. Not so much from a dollars, because we still have inflated dollars um, from a price perspective, but from a unit perspective, it's down roughly about 2% for units. For macro and core, and down 3.5 on extended on the expanded set. So that's actually, and this was really year-to-date ending in September. That decline is expected because of the size mix. So some of this is because you've got the what I talked to you about with tortilla chips. You've got a little mixture of of large sizes as well as small. So you have that going on. That's going to impact unit sales, but also higher pricing. So snacking has actually outpaced total food and bev from a price per volume standpoint. So when you look at price per volume year-to-date 23, it's up 11% versus the rest of food and bev, which is up 8 So you take into account you've got the, the size mixture that we talked about, the large and the small. You think about the fact that you've got this 11% price increase, um, versus year ago and, um, that outpaces food and bed. The fact that it's only a 2% reduction is phenomenal. And so it does show a little bit of inelasticity in some categories, but there are some categories, unfortunately, that are not faring well. And they're going to have to find a way to drive penetration by rate and or frequency to get their their units and volume back into a more positive or less negative, whichever way it can be. Some of the categories that have taken a hit are dried meat snacks, um, snack nuts, ice cream. Even things, even categories like crackers. um, And. Chocolate. One lesson is you've got to get the pricing. The price size architecture for a lot of these categories has to be really looked at. We, we have to see as you look across your own brands or if you're a retailer looking across the snacking environment, how do you compare to others? And are you indeed driving new buyers? keeping old buyers in, how are you engaging with the consumer to keep them in these categories? Part of the reason why they're struggling is because we may have priced some of them to a point where they just have to say no. And I have to say that in the past few weeks in having this same conversation with others, just out and about, people have told me I had to pass on buying X snack. Because it is just too expensive and I had to tell my kids, not this week, maybe next. So it is, that is probably one of the biggest lessons. And I get it. There's a cost to serve it. There's a cost on, there's increased costs on supplies that are being passed forward. I get it. But can we find the right algorithm for whatever product, whatever category, whatever it might be, where we can, can drive more volume to be able to take the price down so that you are accounting for the increased cost of of to serve, but at the same time, you're getting people back in the category and buying more and more and more. So that's one, because it isn't the lifestyle. Consumers are still snacking. So we know they're still snacking. They're choosing other snacks. Could be how they've changed their lifestyle, but a lot of it is the price.
0: Lyons-Wyatt also notes the economy is influencing where consumers shop, which in turn is influencing the types and size of snacks to which they're gravitating.
1: It probably wouldn't be a surprise but Club has done quite well for snacking. Um, And what's kind of, somebody would say, wait, that doesn't make sense because it costs more. But a lot of consumers, what we're seeing in this time, are putting more thrifty actions into play and so they'll look to say, how much does it cost per serving? What would be um the difference in if I can can I can I have this stretch over many occasions at a more affordable price? Club it helps you do that, right? Even though it's a big price point. So if you can afford the price point, then there we have consumers opting in for club. The next is dollar. Um, dollar has really found its legs, especially with um, with core snacking. And I think part of it is that, again, going in and trying to find affordable pricing, looking for the sizes that might be a little more congruent with what you're looking for. Dollar tends to have some of those smaller sizes versus the club, which is going to be the larger. So you've got two sides to that. Online has also seen some good uptick. Part of that is the convenience, but the other part is you can shop for price. So you can compare prices as you look at online. And um, and so we've seen that do quite well. And the other piece is military. And military is one that I've seen now for the past two years. What's fascinating about it is First of all it means commissaries are getting having what they're the military is looking for. And secondly, it's all about convenience because if you've ever been to a commissary, they're not close to a whole lot. So it does take time, takes, you know, gas or uses electricity whatever kind of automobile or transportation you take. And so they feel that that convenience is what's going to help them. And we've seen that military has done quite well. And then lastly, convenience, um, the convenience channel has also done well, um, in core snacking. And as we take a look at convenience, it serves yet a whole different framework of consumer. Um, when you go and fill up your car at the, at the gas station, If you only have $10, you may not use all 10 on gas. You may choose to do a portion of it and then go in and get a snack and a drink. Or if you, you know, prefer to smoke or whatever, you'll go get what it is you want and, um, and then leave, but that's has, that's helpful for convenience that consumers do opt in to that quick, just trying to do a quick hit, get in and get out. But while I'm there, I might just spend a little bit on gas and spend the rest just for me. That, again, that affordable luxury, if you will, of a snack, a drink, or whatever whatever they're looking for.
0: Another headwind potentially challenging snack sales is the expanded use of GLP-1 weight management drugs that help curb unhealthy food and beverage cravings. While some retails have noted altered shopping patterns among consumers who use these drugs, Lyons Wyatt says that it's still too early to tell what the short or long term impact on food and beverage sales may be. But she suggests it may not be as drastic as some fear.
1: We're saying it's too soon to say anything except for the fact this. What we are seeing is shifts. So there are shifts of the consumers that are on those medications for weight loss. That's a fact. They're making some different trade offs. But in total, we don't see a drastic decline in what they're buying. And there's a few reasons for that. First of all, they may be changing what they eat, similar to any other diet they might be, anybody that's on a diet, similar to that, they change what they're eating. But the rest of the rest of the household still is looking for their favorite snack or their favorite, you know, indulgence, or their favorite luxury, whatever it might be. So you still see baskets looking somewhat similar. If somebody's on a diet in the household, though, they're opting for different things. It's the same mindset, if you will, um, when you're on GLT-1 drugs, very similar. And that's what we're seeing. Still too, too, too soon to tell, but we don't think that's going to be. It's going to have changes on certain categories, but it's too soon to tell what and how much.
0: Between challenges related to the pandemic and the economy, many snack makers have been in survival mode for the past three years pushing innovation to the back burner. And while this decision may have made sense short-term, Lyons-Wyatt says it threatens long-term sales, growth, and engagement. While she says she expects innovation to pick back up in 2024, she adds licensing and co-branding agreements, as well as category crossovers and line extensions, have helped fill the gap and can keep consumers engaged while R&D reboots
1: innovation seems to be down um across across gm cpg it's 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 down so snacking has seen um innovation but it's been at a lesser rate than what we've had in previous years that's a fact what i would tell you is the hottest ticket that you've seen for the past 18, 24 months is the co-branding, co-licensing. So where you can take equities and extend them into different categories. That's been huge in snacking and treating. Um, you've seen candy brands extend into ice cream and, you know, cracker brands go or cookie brands extend into everything. So it is it is the hottest ticket. So that type of innovation we saw a huge uptick in um versus prior years. So that's one. But most manufacturers and retailers that we've talked to, it feels like 24, you and I will have to regroup again in a year and see if this happens. But everybody's talking about they're ready to invest because they need the growth and they know to get the growth, they absolutely have to innovate. And so we have heard that manufacturers are really going to kick it in into 24. So I'm very anxious to see that. Um, but the biggest innovations we saw probably twenty three into twenty twenty-two into twenty-three was beverages. Beverages really kind of <laughs> encompassed the top food and beverage innovations. Um and so it kind of dwarfed everything else that other snacks or others were doing. Um but we can take lessons from what they were doing. A few things. First of all, protein is still hot. As much as um as much as we'd all think that, oh, has it lost its footing yet? Has it plateaued? I think we're close to plateauing, but I still think it has a little runway. So drinks that provide protein and and, and especially because protein is energy, too. So the protein and the energy drinks, those have continued to be um front runners. And with that being said, I think that snacks that provide protein energy will continue to find their way because consumers – Love to have multiple benefits, which is number two. Not that these are ranked, but this is my second point. The multiple benefits, I think, is something we're seeing and, and I'll use, you know, you were kind enough to uh, listen to my two boys when they came in here. And, um, it's funny because they will drink those protein shakes, right? And those protein shakes provide the protein and energy, but many of them also provide Vitamins, antioxidants, you know, multiple benefits, right? To the point that I talked to a group of their friends just as a random, you know, hey, I'm talking to teenage boys with <laughs> not that it's a real panel, but just to give us a feel. And, and I said, Hey, do you also take vitamins? Like what, what you're doing? And they were like, why would I need to take vitamins? It's everything I need is in this drink. Therein lies what I think is going to happen with snacks and foods and, and is, is what snack or food or beverage can I consume that's going to give me multiple benefits so potentially I don't have to go buy yet one more thing to get to answer my needs so I think that one is huge so that protein but then the multiple benefits and then obviously um well-being I think is part of what we're seeing across the, the board as far as, is it digestive health, mental health? Um, what can it help me do from, you know, my, I to diabetes, we talked about that. So disease states and or mental well-being and or physical well-being, I think is that third theme that we saw that um, will probably be part of the innovation consideration set going into twenty four.
0: Looking forward, Lyons Wyatt advised snack makers that want to drive long term growth to carefully assess their price pack architecture, assess the occasions and consumers with which their products best resonate, and create marketing that communicates directly to them where they shop. And finally, to invest in innovation. With that, we've reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope that you'll join me again for another installment, and to help you remember, I encourage you to subscribe. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford, wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week.